Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Madigan and Daniel Connolly. We are coming to you from these pod waves with um, a lot has changed for UConn football. Randy Edsel is out as the head coach, effective immediately as of Monday, uh, after on Sunday announcing that he would be retiring at the end of the season. On Saturday, UConn delivered its biggest clunker in a spell where the team has been delivering almost explicitly nothing but clunkers, uh, pretty much the worst possible one on Saturday with a 10-point loss to Holy Cross in the 2021 home opener. It was pretty embarrassing if if you're a fan of UConn football, uh, a program that should really have no business beating UConn. And as a result, we see the changes coming to the leadership of the program. Um, So... A lot in flux right now, uh, but we had really, really modest expectations for for this season. But one of those was definitely to not lose to the FCS teams. Thankfully, here at the UConn blog, we did do our homework and know that these games would be tough. And by these games, I mean the Holy Cross game that just happened and the Yale game that's coming up next month. Um, But you know, we knew that we knew that Holy Cross was a was a quality opponent, and and that UConn should not look past them. But certainly, we did not expect a loss, uh, and and a loss in the way that it went down. So, and now UConn is about to conduct its fourth head coaching search in uh, eleven years, which is not great, especially when all of those coaches are leaving in disgrace. But Madigan. How did you feel after the Holy Cross loss? And and what did you think UConn needed to do to start riding the ship at that point? I mean, so I wrote the opponent preview for Holy Cross and some people throughout the internet said that I compared them to Alabama. Um, they're definitely not Alabama, but they definitely were better than UConn. Um, I, I still thought that was a winnable game for UConn that they just failed to execute down the stretch. To me, I, I was almost positive that the first move was going to be to fire offensive coordinator Frank Jufri, who once again skates by pretty much untouched uh, with, with pretty much zero accountability for just another terrible performance. Um, just because of Etzel signing the extension in the winter, I believe it was like January or February, taking this team through the 2020 season, which they didn't play any football games, but I believe they were still practicing in a limited capacity uh, and everything through that. I thought it would probably make the most sense to at least give Edsel this whole season and try and have them make some changes at the coordinator level, uh, especially on the offensive end before trying to do anything more drastic. The decision for Edsel to retire at the end of the season was surprising had me thinking about what the rest of the season would look like, how these players who went through all of 2020 looking forward to play these 
playing these games in 2021 and then having their coach wrapping things up at the end of the season. I was, I was curious what the locker room would be like, what the momentum would be like for this team. Uh, if there was such a thing after losing to an FCS team and getting blown out 45, nothing by Fresno state, but Edsel decided to step down on, on Monday. I think it's probably the best move for the long term of the program. And it'll be interesting to see how Lou Spanos does for the rest of the season and, and how the players kind of rally around him. It seems like while there was some clips going around on social media uh, where it looked like the team kind of gave up on him in particular, it seems like based on what the players have said, either on social media from what we've heard through our various sources and channels and everything else that they're actually really in on him and, and they really like him as a coach. So maybe they'll be able to rally around him and we'll have a sort of TJ Wiest renaissance. But to me, this is a, this is a totally new season. The expectations are even lower than they were before. I would be shocked if UConn wins another game this season, just because of all the turmoil and everything that, that's happening. I do think UMass is a winnable game. Um, Vanderbilt is is in shambles just as bad as, as UConn is, that's still a winnable game too, but it's going to be tough with, with uh, things changing so much. I'm sure it's going to take time for Spanos to implement what he wants to do offensively, defensively, if he wants to change things up. So this is still not a good football team, even without, you know, with or without Randy Etzel, but it'll be interesting to see how these next 10 games go. And uh, it's, it's just a weird, this is one of the, just another weird UConn football season. Uh, maybe the weirdest ever, just because stuff like this doesn't normally happen. It shouldn't normally happen. And uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I said last week as we were previewing kind of the whole season, but Holy Cross in particular, that if UConn loses to an FCS school, when they did that in 2013, couple games later, Paul Pascaloni got fired. I said it was indicative of something is wrong within the program that has nothing to do with the talent level or the players that are within there. And then the fact, I, I really didn't mean that in, if UConn loses to Holy Cross, Randy Edsel is going to get fired two days later. That's really not what I was going, but it does go to show that UConn should be beating these FCS schools. And the fact that they didn't shows that there was something very, very wrong. And not only that, but the fact that it went from Randy Edsel is retiring at the end of the season to Randy Edsel is actually going to retire right now. That doesn't seem to be something that happens because of just an extra conversation that Randy Edsel and David Benedict have. And from what's been reported out there, and then from what we've heard, the players had a bit of a say in who the head coach was going to be for the remainder of the season. And like Madigan said, apparently they really like Dean. I want, I keep wanting to call him Dean Spanos, Lou Spanos. They, a couple guys, at least I saw a couple guys tweet about him. Jeremy Lucian and Joe McFadden both said that they really liked him. Someone described him to me as quote, a G in a good sense. I kind of think it's going to be like the premier league where you fire your manager mid season and the team's almost guaranteed to win like three games in a row. I don't think UConn's going to beat Purdue, but I think we might see a change in the way the team plays. I think they might be a little bit better. And especially at the quarterback position where Steve Krajewski is going to be starting instead of Jack Zergiatis. I think it's very possible that the coaching staff either just played favorites with Zergiatis and 
for one reason or another. And by the coaching staff, I mean, either Edsel or the offensive staff were playing favorites. And now that Spanos is in charge, he's seen all the quarterbacks play. He's seen him go up against his defense. He maybe knows that Krajewski would be better off as a starter because look, I don't mean to disrespect the kid because I think he had shown potential in the past, but it's very, very clear that Jack Zergiatis is not ready to be a starting quarterback at the FBS level. He doesn't have the accuracy. He just made some really, really bad decisions against Holy Cross with the interception that went off a lineman's helmet that he should have just thrown away with the strip sack where he just tried way too long to get a throw away. The interception that more or less ended the game. There were just too many things snowballed to be able to confidently say that that guy can lead a football team. And maybe in a year or two, he'll be in a better spot with a new coaching staff and they'll be unable to unlock the potential that is apparently being compared to Patrick Mahomes by his own teammates. Not that we believe those comparisons, but from everything we've heard, he at least has some raw potential that has not been tapped into. And look, it's Randy Etzel was never a good quarterback coach. Ironically, even though he played quarterback, he got Dan Orlovsky. Dan Orlovsky was great. The next what even mediocre quarterback that came through UConn was Bryant Sheriff's years and years later. And then I, I guess to Edsel's, Edsel's credit, he did recruit David Pindell, but it took Pindell getting benched against Holy Cross and then sitting an entire year to even become a really good quarterback for this program. They completely whiffed on Beaudry, benching him after the first game. They only gave Zergiatis, what, a game and a half, two games, two and a half games after they named him the starter again. They had to go back to him after Krajewski broke his collarbone, but Etzel's never been a very good quarterbacks coach. That was an issue going back to his first tenure. So I don't really think Zergiatis's struggles all fall on himself because I feel like it's fair to assume that he probably didn't get as great of coaching as he could have. So it's just very clear that the program was in a bad spot. And at the very least, maybe Spanos and with the way that the players like him can turn around the culture better and can just get the team playing better because it's very clear that I still don't really know where this team's talent level is. I don't know how well we can judge that by the way they played, but they should be playing better than where they are now. And even if this is still a team short on talent and these players end up not being good, you still can't be getting completely outplayed by Holy Cross. At the very least, you need to look as good as Holy Cross. And I don't think that's a very high bar to reach. So maybe the change is going to end up sparking this team, even if it doesn't result in a ton of wins. But yeah, like Madigan said, this is probably better for the future of the program because now you also have to think these players are probably playing either to prove to the next head coach who's going to be watching the tape of the season if they're worth keeping around or they're basically auditioning for the transfer portal. So there's still a lot for these players to play for, even if we all know UConn's not going to do anything of note this year. So I, you know, for me, I thought on, on Sunday, the Edsel is retiring three months from now or whatever was, was pretty weird. Cause it's like, you know, how much effort are you going to put into a recruiting class that you're not going to be a part of? Just how much can you put into preparation across the season? And I think, you know, if those reports are true, that the players uh, kind of made their voices heard and said, what the heck is the point of a lame duck 
you know, of playing 10 games with a lame duck head coach, um, you know, great for them, great for everyone involved and great ultimately, I guess, to David Benedict for, for getting that decision and making it, reaching that decision and making it happen. So the, the issue with him getting out of there, you know, that we were probably talking about amongst ourselves over the weekend was, gosh, who the heck would be the, the interim if they were to get, if they were even to get rid of Edsel, do we have an interim on the staff that is even uh, of interest? Apparently, Spanos is that guy, of course, that is, you know, who you rally behind. But again, the fact that this was somewhat driven by, by players' interest in having Spanos be the interim instead of Edsel finishing out the season, I think certainly speaks to, um, you know, something being there. The fact that we saw a lot of former UConn players take to social media and, and you know, get out their bitterness about saying, look, I was kind of pushed off of this team by a guy who said I wasn't good enough. And here's what he's been up to. In terms of the talent level uh, at UConn, I mean, I tweeted this earlier today from the account, but like, you know, UConn's talent level has been about the same for the past nine or 10 years. And it's probably going to be the same the next nine or 10 years. Anyway, whoever comes in is not going to, you know, whoever this mysterious person is that can bring UConn football back, it's, it's not going to be because they all of a sudden recruit classes full of four-star kids immediately. Um, it's going to be because they take the talent at hand. They understand college football in the year 2021 and the, you know, circumstances that UConn has, and they'll find a way to succeed in it. I named in, you know, previous articles, look at Buffalo, look at Temple. Those are places that have gotten good. Let's not act like getting halfway decent at college football is freaking rocket science. There are tons of people doing it. There are tons of head coaches at FCS schools that have been challenging UConn over these past uh, six to 10 to 12 years. So I think it's clear that Randy Etzel was doing a lot of mismanagement here. Connolly, you brought up the, the quarterback situation. I mean, we can also talk about offensive coordinator, a place where, um, you know, Rhett Lashley left immediately. John Dunn left immediately. Um, we can talk about his decision to go full on youth movement and start freshman while the best UConn quarterback in 20 years was playing under center, you know, in 2018 and 19. There's been a lot of confusing decisions uh, about the Ed's era. We knew he had a long leash and we said maybe he's setting himself up for something, but that something was supposed to bear fruit last year. Honestly, he probably got super bailed out by not having to play the 2020 season after all those people transferred out. Um, but it, it, you know, he was supposed to show progress this year, not just, you know, signs of things and failed miserably on that, you know? So I think it's, it is a matter of, of leadership at the top. Honestly, I think it's, it's great. It's, it's a good place for UConn football to be moving on today and, and looking towards the future um, because clearly something very uh, unstable has been afoot for, for a few years now. Yeah, it's a tough break for these players that have had to go through all sorts of weird stuff. I mean, there's still some Bob Diaco era players here. Obviously, they had to deal with the lost season due to COVID, and now they're going to come on to their third head coach in four to five years. So just a tough break. And I know um, there's been 
a push or people have said that the this was brought on by the move to independence, which I've seen, I think for people that don't really follow the team as closely as we do, or really anyone in the local media does, but from a national perspective, uh, I think, I guess I understand that perspective, that point, but when you look at it, there are two games into independence. Uh, even Randy Etzel was able to actually improve the status of the recruiting classes since the move to independence. Um, I just don't think that's the cause to, for this. It's going to make it harder for UConn to win games because they're going to be playing objectively harder schedules um, unless they can try and get UMass on there twice a year, which honestly wouldn't be bad for business. But it's it's definitely not worse. I think playing this weird independent schedule helps recruiting. We've seen Edsel even reap dividends. I'm sure the new coach, whoever that is, will be able to do the same. I just think it's really hard to say independence is good or bad for years. I, I don't know if we'll really be able to know until we're four or five years out, but so far there's a lot of money coming in, a lot more money coming in between the TV deal and the buy games and everything else coming in for the football program than there ever was during the payouts during the American. And even though the team sucks, if they're still able to bring in more than the TV payout or whatever you want to call it from the American was, then it's really hard to say that moving to FBS independence was a bad move because even if they're the, one of the worst teams at the FBS level, if they're bringing in more money than they would in a conference, that that's pretty good. That's enough to keep things kind of moving along and help out this athletic department that really needs the money. Um, Edsel is going to get his, I think it's his full salary for this year for for stepping down, it's like 1.2 million and change. That's just 1.256 million. Um, that's just the cost of doing business in college football. Edsel's contract was a steal. He was not a good coach this time around by any metric. You can make the bonus jokes all you want, but he just was not a good coach. The contract was still a really good deal. If this is all it costs for a buyout, it's not the end of the world. If they waited till the end of the year, technically, then, which I'm sure they're technically doing to make sure that they there's no more money going into the buyout, but that's just doing business in college football. Not that bad. If UConn hires a legitimately good head coach years from now, the buyouts will be much worse and much more painful, more in line with what we see at the college basketball level. So um, definitely weird, but if this is what it takes to move on, Dave Benedict hasn't been afraid to spend the money or cut ties when he needs to. So this is no different. And hopefully this next hire, which is probably the most important hire since the, since Edsel left, right? I guess, I don't know. They're all important at this point. He's got to nail this one. This is, this could be even more of a defining moment than even the move to the big East or, or bringing Edsel back, depending on how it pans out. Uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity for, for Benedict here. I, I agree that ragging on independence as if that is the cause of any of this is so silly. Um, and it, and it kind of is a prevailing theme. It, it wasn't um, a different line that they said back when, um, back when Diaco got fired or back when Pascaloni got fired, it was like, Oh, can UConn succeed in the AAC? Kind of, you know, which is, again, it's kind of the same thing. Ultimately, my take on this is those coach 
pitches were very, very flawed. Um, Paul Pascaloni was was so outdated in the, the strategies that he wanted to use. He was not very good at putting a staff together. He also was not the kind of guy to excite uh, younger folks. He he put he's known for his claim to fame basically is pushing away Joe Moorhead and Donald Brown from the staffs uh, before they would go on to great success uh, at other FBS schools. Uh, and then you had Diaco, who you know came in with a really good resume. We were not you know, mad about what he brought to the table. But obviously, as we learned over the course of those few years, he also was really, really old school in his approach. And, you know, that whole ground and pound thing is just not a feasible strategy at UConn in this century. Um, and to some extent, Edsel is and was the same way. He doesn't, he doesn't love analytics. He doesn't like uh, going forward on fourth downs. He doesn't think uh, these past happy offenses are, you know, are worth trying out. It probably really offended him when we had a, a good offense on this team. And, uh, but, you know, Randy Etzel was, was running the team, like not well, these past, these past four or five years. So I, I do think it's a matter of finding the right guy again, schools like Buffalo and temple have been able to find, I'm going to keep harping on those because they're, about as closely situated to UConn as, as you can get, right? They're, they're mid-majory. They're uh, not necessarily in a recruiting hotbed. I know, I know Pennsylvania is, but with how much competition Temple faces for that talent and the fact that they are, you know, not, don't have a great history. The, the, the situations are fairly comparable, I think. And they've both been able to have good runs under different head coaches. I, I feel like Buffalo and Temple have both been good twice, like with different head coaches since, you know, the Paul Pascaloni era, at least. So I, I do uh, not think this is any reason to get uh, skittish about independence. The, the, the status of the football program, so dramatic, right? To say, oh my God, full UConn football, or even moving it down to FCS. We've had this conversation. Like Madigan said, the future schedule is good. There's good games on there. There's buy games. There's a TV contract. And by the way, let's not forget, um, all of this has made it possible for the other sports to all be in the Big East, which we super love. So um, the independence thing, I think, is separate from the fact that the person in charge of the football program was not the best person to be leading the football program under these circumstances. What argument would you make that UConn football isn't a sustainable thing, can't be a good program, that you can't make at a bunch of other programs around the country, that you could probably make at some FCS programs? Maybe it's a little more extreme at UConn. Like, yeah, the Northeast isn't a recruiting hotbed, but that didn't stop UConn from being good in the past. So clearly you can do it. And I even really think it's probably fair to say that UConn's gotten plenty of good players in, but we haven't seen a lot of development. I mean, the one that still drives me nuts is Arkel Newsom was absolutely electric as a freshman. And what did Arkel Newsom look like as a senior? He looked exactly like Arkel Newsom looked like as a freshman. There was no development. And it's been like that for a lot of players. And it almost feels like the guys that have kind of come through and gone from being almost nobodies into NFL draft picks like Obi Melifonwu or Byron Jones or Matt Pert. 
it feels like those guys almost persisted despite the circumstances instead of the program bringing them up. So if you're producing that kind of talent, despite just being a God awful football program, then if you can get some coaches in that are actually developing the talent that you bring in, that was the whole MO of the first Randy Edsel era. You don't need to recruit that great. If you have good coaching and good development, and that hasn't really been the case for years and years and years. And it's been the same story every single time Diaco takes over. Oh, the cupboards bare. We really don't have the players. This rebuild's going to take time. And then Diaco gets fired and Edsel takes over and it's ah, the, we don't have the talent. We're too big, too fast, or we're not, we're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not fast enough. That's why I got to play all these 18 year olds who shouldn't even be physically out there on a football field and have the worst defense ever, even though, Oh, whoops, our offense is actually kind of good. And we have a Juco quarterback who has an argument for probably the second best quarterback in UConn's FBS era. You're telling me that you couldn't put together a team of transfers and Juco guys that could have been just a bad defense instead of the worst defense in UConn football's history. And all Edsel did was talk about, Oh, I got to build it the right way. Got to develop these guys. Okay. Well, first you didn't develop any of the guys. And second, look at where that got you. So why not take a dip into the transfer portal, especially with the way it is now, everyone getting a free year, especially with the COVID year too, where there's just going to be gobs and gobs of fifth year guys or sixth year guys or seventh year guys that are available and want to continue playing college football and the Juco ranks. I mean, we've seen UConn get some really good Juco players in recent years, go heavy on that. And then just use the talent that you have. I think it's very clear that, from what a lot of the the Diaco guys were saying about Edsel, where Edsel didn't really care if they were good enough or not to play at the program. He kind of just decided that almost all of them weren't good enough for his program, weren't good enough for UConn football, and he wasn't going to consider it. That's just such a ridiculously bad mindset to go in with. And huge shout out to the Diaco guys who were dancing after the Holy cross game. They deserved every ounce of that celebration. It was great. I thoroughly enjoyed watching them enjoy it that much. You have great facilities at UConn. Yeah. It's not Alabama. It's not Clemson, but you take the 1% equivalent of college football, those elite of the elite, how many programs in the nation have comparable or better facilities as UConn. I mean, UConn has to be right up there with the, what's it called? The Burton center Shankman. That's a really, really nice facility. That's an attractive option as we're seeing with the 2022 class, which probably isn't going to stay together. UConn is getting some pretty good recruits. So I, I just don't really understand the argument that UConn can't be good at college football. And it's an unwinnable situation when we have the history that they've won here, We've shown how you can win and how you can get the players here. You have the facility. You have a fan base, a fan base that is way too large right now for what it really realistically should be considering what the last 12 years have been like and will grow dramatically if you put even a mediocre product on the field. And yeah, Wrenchler Field isn't great being 40 minutes away from campus, but let's not pretend like that's not a perfectly fine place to go watch a college football game. So UConn is never going to be a national championship contender, and they never, ever were going to be that. 
most of the college football landscape isn't that they're almost definitely never even going to be competing for the college football playoff. And even if the BCS bowls were still around, they probably wouldn't have any prayer at that, but there is no reason you can't be a mostly respectable, sometimes pretty good, occasionally down here program at UConn. There's just, I just hate that argument as kind of Madigan was saying with the independence, like there's no reason that this is not workable. I think a lot of it just comes down to, as you said, Amon, bad hires three times in a row. And this is a big one. And if you don't nail this one, then I think the decision makers are probably going to start looking a lot more closely at, is it worth running this football program, whether or not they should is a different story, but another failure in another four or five years of just being the punchline for national college football writers. I think that's going to have a major reevaluation, but if you can have a coach that in next year goes three and nine and the year after goes four and eight or five and seven, and then can get him to a friggin' bowl or something that would just be incredible. And I think it completely changes the outlook of the program. So it's possible to do things. It's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that UConn should be this powerhouse, but you can be a completely solid, not embarrassing football program at UConn. You have the tools and they just have to find the right person for it. Dan, going off that, I, I think the new formula for this, whoever this new UConn football coach is going to be, is going to be to embrace the transfer portal and, and use JUCO to kind of build up a base, a solid core of talent to be competitive, to be competitive right away. Maybe not bowl caliber or, you know, four wins or five wins even, but they're going to be in games and they're not getting the doors blown off 45, nothing uh, by by every one of their FBS opponents. So Edsel was not really a fan of the transfer portal. He, he talked about that. We deservedly roasted him on this platform many times for just weird comments about the transfer portal. And with the new rules that you don't have to sit out anymore, there's no reason that this new coach and new staff won't be able to take on guys that want an opportunity to prove themselves uh, and use that to bolster the offense. And even if it's a, a one-year mercenary type of deal where we have to, UConn has to continue to kind of turn over the, the defensive and offensive uh, starters each and every year, if that's what it takes to be successful, then Benedict and whoever this coaching is going to be has to put together a staff that can do that and hit on guys then in the transfer portal. Because contrary to what, Edsel has said, or what other coaches have said, there is always talent there. Um, whether it's going to be guys from AAC programs, from Power Five programs, from whatever, people are always looking to either find more playing time, upgrade their schedule, anything. So I, I think that's part of it. I think the recruiting is going to remain to be better. This class that was supposed to be pretty good is probably going to be nuked just because of the the coaching turnover which is a bummer, but I think that can be replaced with transfers and they can still bring in a few competent freshmen every year and and rely on JUCO and transfer portal guys to build up a solid program and and be competitive right away. I think that's the most viable path for you to be successful in the modern age because there's no penalty for doing it. You're not waiting a year uh, for, for players to get acclimated and, and be eligible they can come in right away. There's no excuse for coaches not to do this anymore. I agree. It's it's 
you know, it's something that Kansas State did a lot from the JUCO ranks, at least. But right, it's what what has happened with UConn is obviously with the move from the Big East, your recruiting power shifts a little, and no coach seemingly has been able to really adjust to that um, strategy wise. We have seen when there has been coaching changes in the past, most of the recruiting class stays intact, except for like um, kind of like reaches that the, the previous coach had and, and maybe some guys who aren't ideal scheme fits. Like if they're a certain type of defensive lineman and you know, that, that whole kind of thing. So I, I think they'll be able to keep most of the recruiting class. But anyway, I do agree that, Yes, whoever is going to succeed at UConn has to make better use of the transfer portal for sure. You know, and I think just one of the things, you know, Connolly, you mentioned it where, you know, Edsel says he wants to grow this thing the right way, whatever that means exactly. Madigan, you touched on it a little bit as well, but like it's it's been really hard to keep, you know, Randy Edsel balks at the idea that he should be held accountable for the things he has not done well, which includes only having three FBS wins, which includes a lot of turnover at the coordinator positions, a lot of miss, a lot of change at the quarterback position. Uh, why did 20 people leave after the 2019 season? So it's, it's always hard with that because, you know, we've seen him walk out of multiple press conferences. We see uh, gaslighting, what I would call gaslighting of like, you know, you just don't understand football. You're not in a locker room. You don't understand, you know, and it's like, dude, you you completely started over on defense while the offense had actually reached levels that a UConn offense had never reached before. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Uh, so, I, and I think, you know, to a similar respect, that was somewhat the case with Diaco, where it's just very easy for the head coach to just kind of like make fun of someone for asking a critical question. And then there will never be another time where someone follows up on, again, why did two offensive coordinators leave after one year stints? Should we think about this a little bit more and what it might mean and how it might reflect on the leadership of the team? Those are the things, you know, I don't have the exact answer to that. I mean, fo- football coaches need to be grown adults and, you know, stand up and, and take on their responsibilities and be willing to field questions when they make millions of dollars to do their job. But it's, it's something that, you know, his attitude made it really tough to do. He didn't really accept criticism about his approach um and he gave nothing in the way of results for it. he had nothing to show if we were to try to even name the three fbs wins over these years i think there's one over tulsa there's one over umass and then um i'm also stuck on the last one i've been thinking about it and i can't think of who the last one is so he won three games his first year. So they didn't beat Cincinnati. They beat Cincinnati in Diaco's last year, which was really funny. Yeah, they um, should have beaten Cincinnati. Or they should have been closer to beating Cincinnati because that was the regular season finale where they went down, scored the game-tying touchdown. Herji Mayala got the unnecessary uh, – or the unsportsmanlike conduct, and they were going to go for two to win the game. And then Tarbett missed the field goal that would have tied the game and sent it to overtime. That's right. I found the other one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Drop it on us. It was a road win at Temple, 28 to 24. Oh, yeah. I remember that game. Oh, man. And Brian Sheriffs was the uh, 
quarterback, he had 105 passing yards in the win. That's right. Someone had a pick six in that game, didn't they? Tyler was Coyle. it Tyler Coyle? Yeah, Tyler Coyle had the pick six in that game. And after that game, I think it was after the Tulsa game, a Connecticut sports columnist wrote that Fairweather Husky fans needed to support this team better. <laughs> they proceeded to win one FBS game the next four years. Um, so They have as anyway. many FBS wins as they have FCS losses. Exactly. No, but I, you know, and I think someone, you, again, you both kind of brought it up earlier, but the fan base is there. You know, the, the fact that UConn has a fan base, um, you know, maybe is not deserved, but the fact of the matter is that there was, there was a ton of interest going into this season. There was a lot of interest in, um, you know, our game coverage for the first few weeks. And, and there's been interest around this, this coaching change as it's happened. But the fact that there were people even at this Holy Cross game, given it, and we've been saying this now for like six years, we're literally going on five or six years of saying, gosh, these fans at this game, they are so dedicated. What a, what a tremendous, you know, testament to the fan base. 18,000 people went to the Holy Cross game. You know, if I was in the area, I would have enjoyed hitting up the, hitting up the lots myself. It's, it's always a good time at the rent, uh, weather permitting. So the, the circumstances are all there for success, for support. Um, we do just need a smarter football person. Who is that person? Again, we still need to figure that out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another thing we also do need to kind of figure out, and not, not that it is something that's a decision for us to make, but Randy Edsel's legacy, uh, as legacy with respect to the University of Connecticut, um, as a head coach, obviously he accomplished a crap ton in his first stint there, did a lot on and off the field to build that program and support the people involved in that program when he was rehired multiple current and former NFL players voiced their support for it. You know, he uh, donated money for the statue to commemorate Jasper Howard at Rensher Field. He donated a lot of money to the Husky Ticket Project this, this offseason. But this stint was also a complete freaking disaster uh, in which, you know, even though one of the benefits of Randy Edsel was that he came with a really good price tag we kind of got what we paid for, you know, it's like, is it, is it worth it given everything that's happened to have gone with the bargain head coach? I mean, at the time, you know, we, we were all underwhelmed by the hire, but I think it was kind of like, okay, well, Diaco was clearly like in a very, you know, weird state of mismanagement and maybe Randy Edsel, the sensible man who succeeded at UConn could, could do it, but, but it didn't turn out to be the case. Something else just worth mentioning, I think, about Randy Etzel. After his first stint at UConn, it ended in a very ugly way with the way he departed from Maryland. He also did not succeed at Maryland in the slightest, which I think, you know, should also weigh into how he is 
uh, viewed as a head coach. He has not presided over a winning season, or maybe he has presided over one winning season since leaving UConn in 2010-11. So his legacy is a complex one. He certainly deserves a lot of credit for, for what he's done at UConn. But you know what? So you deserve to be head coach again if you want to be? Like, you know, there's there's got to be a limit to these things because um, you know what, if he wants to be back again in three years, he still gets to because of what he did the first time around. Um, there's a bit of, of, there was a lot of arrogance in his approach. He, we heard a lot of accounts about how he mentioned the Fiesta Bowl a lot when he was back at UConn. We heard the same reports about his, you know, rule that players can't have dreadlocks and stuff like that, which is not cool. Uh, we do not approve of that. There are words for that that would hurt. Randy Edsel's feelings and maybe someone in the UConn athletic department's feelings. So we can't really describe what that is, but you know, look, all of these things happen night again, 20 plus players left and then 2019 off season. And we were not, you know, able to sound the alarms properly around this, but this second stint was really, really bad. And it, and it did leave the program in a worse place than he found it, which at the time we did not think was possible. So it's, it's very complicated. Uh, you know, who cares whether you like or not, don't like him? That's a personal choice that, you know, you can make depending on whether you met him and what you've seen from him or anything he may, you know, any involvement you may have had. But, you know, as a fan, it's not great because this is this was a critical juncture for UConn football and he flubbed it and he didn't flub it because of bad luck. He flubbed it because of the fact that he was not qualified and did not do a very good job. Is it in a worse place than he found it, though? It was not in a good place when he yeah. found it. It was in a yeah. very bad place. Yeah, they were can what, we even... one year removed from a bowl game, two years removed from a bowl game. And and those early Edsel rosters could have done well. You know, like if we name some of the defenders on the 2017 team, um, you know, the, they switched to a freaking 3-3-5, you know, with Luke Carazzola, Foley Fatukasi, who's still kicking around in the NFL, Vontae Diggs, you know, there were, there were good players on this team, but, uh, and we saw it with the offense again, as we discussed a few times here already, the offense got as good as we had ever seen a UConn offense lately, which was super freaking exciting. But so, the, so I think that we felt decent about where the team was and the talent was, and we were like, Oh, Bob Diaco is not running this thing. Well, so I, I think it is in a worse place structurally, you know, the conference situation is what it is. And, but that's not really on the coach. I'm saying in terms of like where its reputation is three years of being like really a national punchline in a way that cannot be under, you know, that, that was not the case, even in the worst of the Diaco times and the uncertainty that all of this has brought on what's going on right now. Um, yeah, I do think, and, and losing to Holy Cross, you know, I, I think it is, I think that's in a worse place. I, th I think it's just, this is how it's going to be when we talk about Randy Etzel. I think, you can make an argument. He, we, I said this earlier, Dan, I'll say it again. He could be the best and worst coach that this program's ever had. The, the first stint that he had at UConn is unbelievable. I mean, what he did lifting this program from one AA, SCS, whatever, to briefly independence and then in the Big East and ultimately reaching that Fiesta Bowl in 2011 before bolting in maybe the most scumbag way possible to, to take on Maryland was incredible. It was an unbelievable run. It's unprecedented heights that no one thought that UConn football could reach 
ever, let alone within a decade of being uh, an FBS program. So you have to factor that in. Um, I also, I, I'll just be honest, I, I don't really care for him that much as a person, but every time I, I really think about saying truly awful things about Randy Etzel, I do think about everything that came up um, during Jasper Howard's death and how he handled that in the moment. And after the fact, I know he donated a ton of money. He was at the uh, ceremony when, when they christened the, the statue, the memorial for, for Jasper Howard. So that's not nothing either. Um, this second stint was underwhelming by any circumstance. I think the biggest problem was that the only thing that made this hire okay to go with another go around with Etzel was that there was a innovative and hyped offensive coordinator in Rhett Lashley and a highly hyped defensive coordinator in Billy Crocker, who just straight up didn't pan out. I mean, he, he was, it just ended up being terrible, but at the time, Randy Etzel himself didn't move the needle, but the combination of Randy Etzel, Hey, he knows how to run this program. He can take you. He's taking UConn to, to its highest highs with some new blood with Lashley and Crocker, he might be able to kind of rekindle some magic and do it again. Once those two coordinators left or really once Lashley left and uh, Crocker, it was pretty obvious that Crocker was going to be a flop. It, it got sour really fast because he just doesn't have that ability to, to, to kind of coach and lead modern players anymore. And, and we saw that all the time with, the transfer portal comments and some of the other weird, like almost fake woke comments that he would make about he was trying to cater to players, but he would also kind of slip in his own opinion that was just so contradictory to everything else. Um, that was very weird. And he constantly trashed a lot of the in-state recruits that were probably more interested in coming to play for UConn than anyone else in, in New England or in, you know, the greater Northeast. So it's a complicated legacy. I think overall, this whatever how many year stretch three season stretch is going to be a blip on his legacy at UConn and in 20 years from now he'll probably be remembered for the good times more than the bad and I'm okay with that but I'm also okay that he's never going to be on the sideline for UConn football again and uh, hopefully the program can move forward yeah back to the point I was making about is it really worse than where he took it over I definitely agree that the reputation is worse. Obviously, UConn is a synonym for being a terrible football program, and there's just constant jokes being made. If UConn hires a new coach, and in 2023, they go to a bowl, and 70% of the guys that played in that game are Edsel guys, and there's actually more talent on this roster than we realize, and it's actually a pretty good foundation for the next coach to work off, then maybe it was just Edsel had lost his coaching touch and he didn't have the right coordinators and coaches around him to make up for that. But he at least got enough players in the program that were good in order to help the next coach succeed. I just don't think that we can fully judge this second era until we kind of see how it pans out. Like if Randy Edsel took over and went to a bowl in his first season with Bob Diaco's players then we probably would have a bit of a different perspective on Bob Diaco. So yes, to this point, I'm absolutely not going to disagree that it hasn't been anything less than an abject failure. And it all ending with the Holy Cross loss feels pretty, pretty fitting. 
but I, I think the positives still probably weigh out the negatives. And there are a lot of negatives, not only just the football stuff the second time, but Mon, like you mentioned, some of the whispers that we heard about the stuff that was off the field, the way he treated the Diaco recruits and the Diaco players, the way that and he just really seemed to rub people the wrong way. I don't know if it was more this time around or if just his first time as head coach was before my time and I wasn't paying as close of attention, but yeah, it, it's obvious that it didn't work out, but if Edsel didn't build the program to where it was and he didn't win two big East championships and didn't bring UConn to a bowl roughly every other year and didn't win some of them and didn't go to the, the Fiesta bowl, how much different would it be now? Would UConn have this large, relatively large fan base based on the results that is still hanging around. And at this point, you're still probably going to have going forward. Would UConn have, would they have that? Would it still be a somewhat attractive job? Would they have built Burton and Shankman? I, I can't think of the timeline of when that was built. So maybe that was already going, but I just feel like the reason that we're so frustrated by the lack of success the last 12 years and why these last few years have been so so bad is because we have a bar that we know that we can aim for and if the first coach that took over whether it was Edsel or someone else came out of the gates and they went 0-12 their first year at the FBS level and they were bottom feeders in the big east and they were just constantly being trampled underfoot by these bigger programs and they never showed the ability to even be a decent program then what would we be saying now so the fact that Edsel set everything up and had so much success in that first go around, even though this one failed and obviously off the field stuff was lacking and the exit to Maryland wasn't good. I still think as Madigan said, when we're looking back and whether or not you go football, still a program, Randy Edsel will be viewed in a more favorable light. And if whoever comes in next has success right away and has success with Edsel players, then I think that, feeling is going to be more favorable because he set the next program, the next phase of the program up to succeed. So I think it's something that we can't totally judge now, but without having the perspective of being on the inside and without knowing everything that happened, I still feel like the positives outweigh the negatives. So Edsel did recruit well, you know, over these past few years, um, guys like Travis Jones, uh, Cam Ross, uh, there's, there's been good, you know, good players to come through. Um, but again, I, you know, I, I think again, the same, the point still holds of that Diaco left him a pretty decent roster and he just didn't do well with it. And then he, he's a football coach. So he dug in and he goes, ah, the cupboard was bare and this situation was a mess. This next coach, while I hope does not say this, just like every other football coach in the history of recorded time is going to to say the same thing in order to buy himself time uh, in order to succeed has more of an incentive to do that in order to get his scheme preferences all set up. I think in terms of like how much of a, how much of a Valley this is for the program, of course, that's, that's very hard to measure. And is it worse or, or not as bad as some of the other ones? Like for example, Paul Pascaloni, succeeding or failing to succeed when uh, a power five bid was on the line, right? That's, that's probably still a more important failure than, than Randy Edsel's failure right now. We did need someone to keep the ship afloat, or as we said, get the ship in the right place after Diaco. And that's what 
Edsel did fail to do. I think the, you know, one other thing I just want to say is, you know, when, when Edsel was hired, there was kind of this sentiment of, well, at least he's not some young, young up and comer who's going to come here and try to take advantage of, of UConn and win eight games and then go leave for a different job. And it's like, you know, t- today we have to be of the feeling like if that happens, we should be super thankful that that happened and someone proved that you can have a modicum of success at UConn. So I think the impetus to go younger is, is there. There's always, always, whenever you're making a coaching change, just in terms of vibe of the person to try to go in the opposite direction. If you had an older guy, try to go younger. If you had a defensive guy, try to go offensive. I think with what we've stated about where you needs to improve, um, you know, someone with an offensive mind would make a lot of sense. So some things to consider. We do have a list of potential candidates published on the Yukon blog. You can take a look. Feel free to at us with your thoughts or your own suggestions. Guys, recognizing that obviously we don't know anything and we have nothing in the way really of inside information as it would relate to this coaching search. If you had to single out a candidate who you would really, you know, think makes a lot of sense for UConn right now, who would that be for you? For me, I think whoever this head coach needs is going to be needs to have ties to the Northeast and has to have some sort of head coaching experience, whether it's a FBS coordinator that flamed out or is back or coached at a lower level and is now an offensive coordinator. There needs to be some sort of head coaching experience because I think this is a really tough job to take over based on the way this whole Randy Edsel thing kind of unfolded. So if I had to pick someone, I think one of my first picks would be Pete Rosamondo. He coached at UNH and then made the jump to CCSU. He won uh, the NEC in 2017 and made the FCS playoffs. He was an offensive line coach at Rutgers and is currently the offensive line coach at UNC Charlotte. He's got ties to the upstate New York area, like Albany area, and kind of revived that New Haven program that was good in in the 70s or 80s. Program was put on ice for a little bit, brought back, and then he kind of led them back to some sustained success and had some a good run at CCSU as well. So I think there's enough talent in Connecticut and the surrounding Northeast to be able to pull some good players to be competitive and combine that with the transfer market and JUCO. And I think that's probably the most sustainable path to being good quickly. So I think Pete Rosmondo is probably one of the better options to at least take the flyer on if UConn wants to go that route with a younger up and coming coach that has something to prove, maybe willing to stay a little longer until a better FBS offer comes up down the line. For me, I agree. I think the head coach, the next head coach really needs to have head coaching experience. Just in general, I think that's a huge plus. Being a head coach is so much different than being a coordinator. I think we see that all throughout football, not only college football, but in the NFL, there are so many good offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators that don't end up being great head coaches. And I think a lot of times, guys who aren't necessarily great coordinators end up being good coaches because it's just good head coaches because it's just such a different animal. So that's really big for me. Another thing is with the way that the Diaco guys reacted to the Holy Cross loss, and we're talking about how Edsel pretty much threw him out the door at the earliest possible opportunity. I think it's really important 
that this new coach comes in and embraces the players that are already on the roster and doesn't alienate them. And I don't mean appease them and do what you want. You're going to have transfers. You're going to have players who don't like you because you're not the head coach they signed up for, but you don't want this mass exodus, this just blanket on all you guys suck. I don't need you. I'm going to bring in my own guys. I really think the new head coach needs to make sure that he tries his best to connect with the Edsel players, the players that are already there, because above all, they're going to be the ones that help you turn the program around quickest. At the same time, I think, as I already mentioned, you need to go heavy into the transfer portal, the Juco world, all of those guys, because there's so many good players available and that's going to be your gateway to the quickest turnaround possible. And Randy Edsel tried building it the right way, as he always said, whatever that meant. And that didn't work out. I don't really know if it's much better that the guys who got thrown out there in 2018, giving up the worst defense in college football history, are those players really better off for having played in those games? I don't really know how many of them are still even on the roster and are still playing. So I think just having that veteran leadership and the college experience and just the size, strength, and speed to be able to play at the college level and allowing your young players to develop. I think as nice as it would be to have freshmen come in and play right away, college football is such a unique sport in that some of these guys really do need time to just develop into their own, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, maturity-wise. So fill the gaps and try and turn around as quickly as possible. So with those three kind of loose requirements, and I am not saying this just because it would be hilarious if it happened, but Holy Cross head coach, Bob Chesney, this is a dude that just knows how to win football games and knows how to build programs. It's not just what he's done at Holy Cross, which is in, I believe this is his fourth season. He's won back-to-back Patriot league championships after taking over a program that wasn't horrible like UConn is, but was strongly mediocre for like 10 years. They weren't anything special as a program. They've become a pretty good team at the FCS level in a very short amount of time. So it took him just two seasons to win his first Patriot title. First year, they were above 500, but they were pretty mediocre, which you can't expect much more out of a first-year head coach. Second year, they won the Patriot League. Third year, in COVID times, in the spring, They won the Patriot League again. Clearly, he knows what he's doing as a head coach, but it isn't just what he's done at Holy Cross. He started at Salve Regina in Newport. He went 17-5 and in his second and third seasons. Pretty good. Then he took over at the Division II level at Assumption in Worcester. They made the playoffs in his third year. They went to three straight playoff appearances after that. They got all the way to the quarterfinals. And then he got hired at Holy Cross, where, again, he's elevated this program that's a very short span of time that he's pretty quickly risen up these ranks. He's only been a head coach for since 2010. So if you can jump to three different programs and have success at all three since 2010, that means you know what you're doing at the very least as a football coach. And it was abundantly clear that Holy Cross was a very well-coached football team and a substantially more well-coached football team than UConn out on the field. He might not be everything that UConn wants and recruiting and just the entire FBS level of football is a different animal, but division three is very different than FCS. And he's had success at both of them. He's coached at Holy Cross, which is not exactly some sports powerhouse. It's not exactly like 
they're some giant school, their small, tiny university in Worcester, Massachusetts. And he's found a lot of success with them. I just think this guy can coach football. And that seems like kind of a requirement, but he's been a very good head coach at every single level. Who's to say he can't do it at the FBS level at a place like UConn, where although difficult, it's not like the places he was at before were easy either. So I think if you're going for a guy, he just feels like a really safe option. I just can't imagine Chesney coming in and the team playing bad fundamental football. Maybe the recruiting element isn't there, or maybe he struggles with some of the more political aspects of being an FBS head coach, like the donors or the media or things like that. But at the very least, I think this guy's a good football coach and that's really what UConn needs above all else is a good football coach. Yeah. So I I think something that's really impressive about him, despite the fact that, yeah, it's been a D three job, a D two job and an FCS job now, but it's been 11 years for him as a head coach. And as you mentioned, he got all of those, all three of those schools, he got them good fast, which is pretty impressive. So um, I'm going to go with someone else, though, for my for my candidate uh, and that individual. He was, of course, on the list that that we published uh, on Monday. But I'm going to go with Joe Harasimiak. He is, you know, what I would call maybe the Bob Chesney before Bob Chesney was Bob Chesney. Harasimiak looked really impressive as the head coach at Maine. UConn fans had a chance to see his D1 coaching debut when the Huskies hosted him in 2016 at the start of what would be Bob Diaco's final season. UConn beat the Black Bears 24-21 in a closely contested game. Maine had a really good run while he was there. And now he's co-defensive coordinator at Minnesota, um, which is a place where I think, you know, that is maybe the kind of job that UConn could hire someone away from. We should just, you know, it's it's almost like contractually, contractually required for us to Mention the names Joe Moorhead and Todd Orlando and Don Brown whenever the UConn opening does come up. But I think for various reasons, none of those guys are really going to be in serious consideration or seriously going to be considering UConn. Um, would love to be wrong. I think certainly Moorhead especially, but I think any of them would be you know potentially good at the job, but might be tough. So I'm going to take Harasimiak. He was on uh, Bruce, Feldman's, Bruce Feldman's list at... The Athletic. Feldman also mentioned that he was a serious candidate for the Buffalo head coaching job. So um, I do like that. I'll also just throw out a sleeper pick, and that's Al Golden, former Miami head coach who had a successful run of his own at Temple. Um, he's been in the NFL for a few years, but might be might be interested in another shot. He's not super old, and and it could be an interesting idea. Another couple of names I just want to plant. I did not put their names on the list, but it's more like ideologically names I'm interested in. And, and I would just like to throw the idea out. So Buffalo hired a guy from D3 Wisconsin Whitewater a few, like four or five years ago, Lance Leipold. Uh, Leipold ended up having like three nine win seasons at Buffalo. And he's just had his first, he's in his first season now as head coach at Kansas, but I think that's an interesting route in terms of a profile for maybe UConn to look at if there's any if there's any D3 or D2 like legends uh, that might be a good a good choice. Um, and then there is Kevin Kelly, 
who is the uh, head coach who rose to fame in the high school ranks in Arkansas for being the team that never punts and always onside kicks, right? So that's the kind of innovator that we need, maybe not necessarily him. Um, he's currently the head coach at a D2 school, I believe, Presbyterian. Those are some, you know, templates that I would be interested in hearing that UConn is looking into. And maybe if it did turn out to be someone like that, um, you know, like, like a lower level legend or someone who's doing some real, you know, new stuff as it relates to football strategy. That's, that's what I think UConn needs. But anyway, yeah. I like, I like Harrison Miak. Put me down. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Am I, I think those are some good avenues to go down in terms of someone who's definitely not coming to UConn, but has been on all the prospective lists. Anyways, Rhett Lashley is probably not going to be the next head coach of the UConn Huskies. He spent one season in stores. He had a connection with David Benedict. Yes. Um, but he had by all accounts, a pretty sweet deal and decided to kind of trash that and leave for a team that was then in the same conference SMU to take the same role at a considerably lower salary. Um, that screams to me that he has no interest being around this program. And that's totally fine. I, I really don't blame Rhett Lashley for wanting to do that. Probably the best thing he could do for his football coaching career, in all honesty. So he's probably not coming. I would be shocked if he is even on any sort of actual official shortlist to be the head coach. I do think the Yale head coach, Tony Reno, kind of the outside looking in uh, dark horse for the position. I think he has success recruiting in this region. Obviously recruiting for Yale is very different than recruiting for UConn, but he's shown that he's been able to turn around a program and, and be successful for a long period of time. So I think that he's probably another option that they should consider, or maybe at least kick the tires on. Um, I do have a dark horse for you guys. I just wanted to float this out there. Blind resume. He's from the Northeast. He has division one football experience. He's coached in a group of five conference. We'll say he's been to a bowl game and he has about a little under 500 record. And he was at one point, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Anyone know who I'm thinking of? Pat Narduzzi. No, it's Bob Diaco. No. Sometimes we have to go back. No. To go forward. We've done it before. Hey, We've look, done it with yeah, that he has. He has the most experience coaching UConn football of anyone out there. So maybe right. he's the man for the job. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. But um, no, in all seriousness, I do think there's a bunch of viable candidates that UConn can, can hire. And whether that's from a lower, like lower level, Division II, Division Three, a local FCS or an FCS powerhouse, or someone floating around at, at the FBS level, there's a few different ways to go at it. I think there has to be some sort of way to try and ensure a, a commitment of, of a few years. I don't think any of these coaches are going to catch lightning in a bottle with these, with this program and like go to a bowl game in year two. But if for some reason that happens, there has to be some either financial policy or insurance policy where these guys aren't bolting. There has to, someone has to come in and build this program and, and set it up for sustained success. Obviously there's not going to be another, Randy Etzel, where in the sense of a coach is going to stay here for years and years and try and build something, I UConn's just not going to going to be able to do that. But there has to be some sort of process or something established where 
when the head coach, the next head coach leaves, the offensive coordinator can step up or there's a plan in place to bring in another coach, whether it's by like a, a standing search committee or something like that to ensure that things don't fall off the rails again, because UConn's always going to be looking for coaches. That's just the nature of being in, I think in the Northeast and not being a power five, uh, not being in a power five conference in college football. So they have to be prepared to do this and they're going to have to nail this hire and they're probably going to have to nail the next hire and, and maybe the one after that until there's some sort of culture or process, whatever you want to call it in place for some sort of sustained success. I actually have a candidate too. I'd like to throw up blind resume. I know Madigan's really going to like this one and Amon really isn't going to like this one. So he has won a national championship at the FCS level. <laughs> God damn it. Amon. Amon has already guessed it. I will continue for everyone else who isn't in our Zoom. He's won a national championship at the FCS level. He is a very experienced football coach and football manager. He's very, very well liked by his players. He's great building team chemistry. He's got a wicked mustache. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about Ted Lasso. Uh Ted Lasso, UConn football head coach. Why not? I mean, look, that would be a great hire. Former Wichita State head coach, obviously a little occupied in the Premier League right now. But look, if him and Coach Beard could come and take over UConn football, I guarantee we'd be in a bowl next season. I'd settle for Jason Sudeikis, honestly, at this point. <laughs> I, yeah, so, I, you know, I totally would take Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lesso as the next UConn head coach or at least interim, you know, for this season, again, put it on TV. We'll get people to watch. We'll get some, we'll get some stimmy from, from NBC or whoever. Uh, Let's go. Let's go. I do think uh, Madigan, you do bring up a good point. Just that like UConn's going to have candidates every time a crappy team fires their head coach and needs to look, everyone goes, Oh, will this crappy team be able to find someone to who wants this job. And the answer is yes. Coaching is a grueling profession. It's got thousands and thousands of people who are like, you know, currently working as graduate assistants across the country, living in dorms so that they can someday be a head coach later. Uh, When an FBS head coaching opportunity pops up, yes, there are going to be lots and lots of people interested in it. Um, So I reject the idea that this is not an attractive job in any way. I reject the idea that it's not more attractive than the job at Delaware or uh, Holy Cross or something like that. Yale, you know, maybe you've got an argument there where it's kind of cushy and the donors and the whatnot. And and at least you don't have like crazy expectations. But hey, guess what? At UConn, you don't have crazy expectations either. And I think it's worth, again, reiterating the schedule for the future is good. So you've got good opportunities to to beat good teams. You've got a structural system where you can bring in recruits because they're going to want to play those teams. We've got a regional, you know, thing that has the, the fan base interested. So it's, it's not an awful situation contrary to popular belief. And obviously like here at the Yukon blog, we might have a, a little bit of a vested interest or a different pr- prerogative in saying that. But I, I also do just think like, you know, again, look at this realistically, it's an FBS head coaching job, public flagship university, lots of support, and if you win seven freaking games, everyone will think you're amazing. So it's, it's not an awful situation. And I think the right person is out there. 
as we've said, very big decision for David Benedict because um, if he does get it wrong, as has been the case for about 10 years now, the calls to shut down the program or downgrade it or, or something are going to get louder and louder and it's going to be harder and harder to ignore. So that's what's at stake here. Yeah, I think UConn does need to make a decision whether they want to be the, like, for lack of a better term, celebrity coach rehab school, or if they want to be, we're going to hire, we're going to try and hire cutting edge, latest and greatest, up and coming talent and feel like we can replace that more frequently. I don't, I don't think either approach is necessarily wrong and they don't really have to do that. But I think in terms of the culture and the player, like, I feel like all of these ex coaches are going to want to bring in their guys, right? Like, you know, coaches that failed out at one school are going to bring in guys that they had at that school. Um, whereas the SCS coaches may be more willing to take chance on other transfers or, or, people from their school at a lower level, but were possibly top tier talent. I think that's going to be interesting to see what route they go in, because I think both could be viable to success. But I think if they have to keep bouncing around and, and trying to do one or the other, every single time there's, there's a coaching hire, things could get convoluted. So it's, this is, is this probably the biggest hire that uh, David Benedict has to make? I know, I know the Hurley hire was, a big one. I think this is the, like, but I think this is a harder position to fill. Like there was interest. People were interested in being the next head coach of UConn men's basketball. Every hire is the most important hire, right? Like every, every football hire. Yeah. If you look back at, again, the Diaco fire and we're like this next hire is so important. And the hire turned out to suck and the program is not super, you know, dinged by it, but it is not in great shape. Hurley, I think is, definitely more important and then we also have to think about there might be this looming Gino's successor you know <laughs> yeah yeah but this is really something to think about but I, you know if this if this next person fails yeah it's going to be again the cries grow louder but it's going to be can UConn sign another contract with CBS can they still get buy games I guess that's what the program is succeeding off of right now and I don't think that goes away you know unless the fans literally disappear, which by all indications do not see, you know, like we have hit the floor, we're at the floor and it's just, that's where it's been credit to all the people here, but I do think it's at the floor right now and it could not get worse numerically in terms of the fan base. Yeah. I just think in the sense, this is really Benedict's first football hire because I just can't imagine there was a lot that went into hiring Randy Epson. I, I, and like, this is the first one that's going to be truly a, a national search, right? I, how do you call it? How could it be a national search if you pick up the phone and, and call the old football coach? So yeah. in, in that sense, I, I think in you're right, but I do think that this is, this is important. The Diaco hire at the time, which is crazy to say, but that was a slam dunk. That was an incredible hire, an incredible get. Bob Diaco turned out to just not be a good head coach uh, at football. But at the time, I think any of us would sign up for hiring that caliber great of resume. coach. Yeah, great resume. Yeah. We, we, would, we would take that in a heartbeat. So if Benedict can get a coach that at least looks good on paper and makes sense on paper, I, I think that's a big win. And there's going to be a lot of time to do that because stuff probably isn't going to move with all this until the last few weeks of the season right realistically 
unless it's somebody who's out of the out of the sport right now i gotta i mean who we obviously have no idea but you know i, I imagine they're gonna start putting out feelers now and see who they can who's interested at least right they gotta they gotta find out who's interested and then you know from there who knows but i do agree it's it's definitely you know two games into the season one week into college football writ large it's 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 rare timing uh so that that piece of it is weird but hopefully it offers some sort of advantage of of having the vacancy out there and having it be known and being able to take a time. I, I do think that's a fair point about just like Edsel at the time in 2017, 2016, being a more of a hire of convenience um, than, than anything else uh, and, and pricing. So I, I see where you're coming from there. All right. That is going to do it for us folks. Thank you all for listening. Shout out to Bryant Sheriffs.